You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 481 of this podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 11th. 2022. And to start things off, a follow-up question regarding our last episode about Christian universalism and hell and what should our doctrine of hell be as Christians. I got a question from my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez, asking who is preaching the gospel to those who are in hell that they would repent there and get out of hell? That is a fine question that I don't know the answer to, but if you have some thoughts, by all means, reach out, let me know, and we'll get back with J.P. Chavez on that one. But in other news, yesterday, I did not even realize uh, it was Columbus Day. Uh, Yesterday was Columbus Day. Apparently, we missed it, but my wife asked why there were so many kids on our street who weren't in school. And of course, it's normal for our kids to be home. So, you know, there's seven that might be out (laughs) on our street, which is a fair amount, but we homeschool. So they're always at school and they're always home and uh, that's normal. But there were other kids on the block who do go to public school and they weren't in school. And my wife says, why are there so many kids not at school during school hours? And we all just kind of shrugged and we had other things going on, other things we were working on and didn't even pay attention. But apparently Columbus Day is still a federal holiday in the US. I'm okay with that. Uh, A little bit of backstory for those who are not quite so okay with it. According to history.com, it was unofficially celebrated, Columbus Day, in a number of cities and states as early as the 18th century, but it became a federal holiday in 1937. And here recently, since the 1970s, there has been more and more controversy about this being a holiday that we would celebrate, recognize, Christopher Columbus. A lot of folks increasingly prefer Indigenous Peoples Day. Why don't we celebrate the Indigenous peoples who were uh, murdered, who were infected with smallpox, who had their land stolen from them? There's definitely more that could be said with regards to all that. It's complicated. And I'd like to do an episode exclusively on this topic soon. But it was kind of a big deal. Can we just agree? It was kind of a big deal that the old world as we know it found and connected with the new world as we know it. And it was kind of a big deal for everybody, not just the indigenous peoples, not even just for the European countries, European explorers and conquistadors and colonizers, if you like that term, or uh, colonials, if uh, you're a little bit more generous. 
it was a big deal for the whole world that this changed the way that we did trade. It changed the rivalries between major powers like the Ottoman Empire, for instance, controlling a lot of trade back and forth between Europe and Asia. It changed the landscape for Asia. It changed, obviously, the landscape for Africa when the slave trade opened up to the New World. But certainly, certainly, it changed the situation for indigenous peoples in the Americas. It changed the situation for Europeans who all of a sudden weren't hemmed in like they had been, and they could resettle. They could pack up and leave European countries they were from, their ancestors had been from forever and ever, and they could go and set up shop in the Americas, or they could sail the seas, they could take up piracy, they could take up commerce, they could take up any number of things that just weren't really an option before Christopher Columbus in 1492 sailed the ocean blue. So I think, personally, celebrating that fact is okay. And it's okay to remark on Christopher Columbus's achievement without either A, affirming everything he ever did and said, if he did and said some reprehensible things, in addition to doing something remarkable that changed world history, that changed the course of empires and entire civilizations, I think it's okay for us to celebrate the fact that he did a remarkable thing while also at the same time not endorsing everything that came along for the ride, all the baggage. He wasn't a perfect man, but if you haven't noticed, there's only been one perfect man ever. And you're not him, and I'm not him. And so if we're going to cancel Christopher Columbus, I dare say we're going to have to cancel indigenous people as well. If you don't know the horrible, awful things that, let's say, the Aztecs or the Mexica did to surrounding tribes and peoples they went to war with. Uh, If you don't know, well, that might be a reason to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day. But when you do know some of the awful, horrible, heinous things that Indigenous peoples did to one another for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, uh, if you do know that, well, then it kind of cancels out in some sense to where you say, all right, well, that's on both sides of the equation. People were awful here in the Americas, people were awful in Europe, people were awful in the Middle East and in Africa and in Asia. People have been awful to each other all over the world because people are people. And so then what you do when that cancels out is you start looking at, well, hey, wait a second. If people are just awful because they're in possession of a sinful nature or a sinful nature is in possession of them, is it worth remarking or commenting on anything that they do that's praiseworthy? Is it okay to think on these things that are praiseworthy? And does that biblical principle apply perhaps to the way that we should relate to Columbus Day? Just a little food for thought. That's not what we're going to spend all this episode talking about, but I figured I'd throw it out there. 
In other news, <clears throat> we are working on a second MyTech High computer build. MyTech High, for those who are uninitiated, is a great program we've been availing ourselves of for two years now. In the state of Colorado, as a homeschooling family, we sign up and we get grant money to foster and facilitate STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Now, independent of that, we would be very, very invested in science and technology, in particular computer science, and also literature. Very heavy emphasis on literature in our curriculum, reading old books, reading classic books, reading great books, and getting the distilled wisdom of the ages by reading great books by great men. But with my tech high, each of our kids, if memory serves, has about $1,200 earmarked for tech funds. And then besides that, you can build your own custom courses, or you can get music lessons paid for, or you can get your internet bill paid for, or you can sign up for subscriptions or zoo passes or museum passes or national park passes, all kinds of things, right? You can't buy furniture. You can't buy food. You can't buy clothing. You can't buy a number of things with those funds. But what you can do is you can buy computer parts, for instance, for example, and that's what we did last year. We bought all the parts, bought all the components. Uh, I've been doing that since I was in high school, building my own custom computers when I need one. Uh, so I'm teaching my kids how to do that. And so we put together a parts list. Eli, in particular, uh, was able to put together a parts list on PCPartsPicker.com. And we're going to substitute several pieces from what he selected uh, into what would have been a modified version of last year's build. So for instance, we're going to go with an Intel CPU instead of uh, an AMD Ryzen, like all our other computers have. It'll be exciting to see how that changes the performance. We were planning on going with a Radeon graphics card, but my brother happens to have an RTX 3090 used that uh, he was using for Bitcoin mining and no longer wants, no longer needs. So we're going to get that instead because it's the second most powerful GPU on the market right now compared with the uh, Radeon card we were looking at, the 6800 XT, I believe. Uh, that would be the 15th fastest GPU on the market. So we're going to go that route, but Eli's got a mouse and keyboard picked out that will not be Rockat, but they are high-performance uh, peripherals, Corsair and Asus brand. Uh, also, my brother Bryce has recommended going with a Cooler Master brand case for better airflow. We've been using NZXT cases for years, and I like them very well for how easy to access everything is when you're putting it together, trying to maintain it, trying to clean dust out and whatnot. But we're going to try a Cooler Master instead this time around. Uh, but last year's build, <coughs> it went really well. Last year's build went really well. And for the first time, in all the years that I've been building computers, the thing worked the first time. On the first boot attempt, everything was 
plugged in correctly, configured correctly. And that was with each of my kids being responsible for putting in their individual piece, their individual part. You know, we sat everybody down at the table, pulled out all the parts when they first arrived. Uh, when they all had come in, I handed a part to each of the kids and I said, okay, you hold on to this and we're going to go part by part explaining what it is, why we need it, what it will do. And, uh, and then one by one, I'm going to call you guys up and you're going to put your part into this computer. And so that's how we're doing the computer science thing. And then on the other end of it, whenever they use that computer, they know better how it works. So they get an understanding of how a computer works in terms of the hardware. Also, they get a computer that they can use for schoolwork, for doing Ames Community College classes, for doing their math curriculum, teaching textbooks, for doing uh, various other things, research, uh, reading, listening to audiobooks, watching YouTube videos, or just playing computer games. That's okay too. It's okay for them to have something that they can uh, enjoy in their leisure time as well. So very exciting. Very excited uh, we are to have another computer built soon since we certainly have high demand with so many kids for access in this house. As many kids as we have, there's a lot of schooling and leisure time activities that are centered on the computer and uh, it'll be good to have another one. But speaking of family, and this takes us into more of the main subject, my children listen to this podcast and I'm happy for that fact, actually. There are some things that I say on this podcast where the fact that my kids are listening uh, is sobering and that moderates me in a good way. I think this is part of the problem with uh, the U.S. right now is that there's a lot of folks who don't have that moderating influence to temper them in their views and their lifestyle and the kinds of things that they support and are for. The fact that they don't have kids creates a kind of unreality to their decision-making paradigm and the way that they see the world. But just to give you an example of how this affects society, culture, the economy, politics, consider the big tech executives who, prior to having children of their own, were much more cavalier about the effects psychologically and socially of their software and hardware developments, much less concerned about the ramifications of addictive products and services they were offering, much less concerned about how this internet age that we live in is affecting mental health, for instance. Then they have kids, right? And this is well-documented. You can definitely go and dig into it more, or we can talk about it more in the future, in a future episode. But they have kids, these big tech executives, and all of a the sudden their attitude shifts because they start thinking about their kids using the products and services they've been developing or championing or promoting, selling, and it wakes them up. It sobers them about the ramifications. They don't want to hurt their kid. They have parental instincts. And next thing you know, they start sounding the alarm 
for other people's kids as well. And so, you know, with regards to podcasting, knowing that my kids might be listening, if I listen back through or I hear my kids listening, there are alarm bells that go off that would not if I didn't have kids or if my kids weren't listening to this podcast. There are also things that I definitely explain at a simpler level, not that my kids are simple. They're actually very bright and very perceptive, but part of how they have gotten perceptive is because I have to break things down and explain them at a simpler level. And then their comprehension grows and expands. And then I set the bar a little higher and a little higher and a little higher, but that's good for me to learn how to do, to explain things more simply And it's also good for other people as well. If topics are unfamiliar and I have to explain things more simply because my kids are going to be listening and I don't want them to be confused. But the peers of my children, ranging in age from nine months old to 15 years old, their peers in the public schools are being treated to every kind of leftist indoctrination, propaganda, and general subversion of Christian morality. So for anybody who would say, oh, your kids listening to your podcast, you talk about some things on your podcast that, you know, are you sure you want your kids listening to? And I say to that, yes, yes, I am sure, because their peers are being exposed to these topics in the public schools, but their peers are being exposed to these topics from influences (laughs) uh, that are decidedly unchristian. And it isn't to say that everything I'm going to say on this podcast is gospel or is infallible. I am not sitting in some kind of an infallible seat, uh, nor do I have complete knowledge and understanding of everything that I want to talk about. But that's actually more reason to be talking about these things because we're going to get a better understanding of them in talking about them as we're talking about them than we would if We just waited until we have perfect knowledge. That's not realistic. That's not tenable. You can't wait until you have perfect knowledge and have everything figured out to start figuring things out. If you do, you will never have everything figured out. You won't have nearly so much figured out as you might. But I'm all the gladder that my kids listen to my podcast and are developing their own opinions and positions with regards to so-called political issues. Everything's political these days, supposedly so-called political issues. And I'm glad to be helping them to do that. I am going to take an active role unapologetically in my kids forming opinions and positions. And I'm not telling them what to think, although I hope they would agree with me. I hope they would be persuaded by my views, my convictions, my opinions, my beliefs about what is correct. But I want them to take it farther. I want them to grow and mature and have better comprehension, better understanding. I want them to have these ideas and to add to them and to develop them further, to flesh them out in the ways that God has equipped them and will lead and guide them to. But just to drive home the point compared to what, right? My friend Dave Kanashog recently checked out a book from the library, which is being used as the textbook for sex education in American public schools. And he brought it to church on Sunday to show me after seeing it highlighted by Matt Walsh. And it's crazy. It's 
it's wild and crazy, but it's part of a push called comprehensive sexual education, and it's K through 12. And this book in particular is targeted at 10 years old and up kids. And it's very cartoony. And there are definitely pictures of illustrations of uh, a man and a woman masturbating, for instance, talking about how masturbation is perfectly normal. That's the title of the book. And that's what they want to tell kids who are 10 and up is that masturbation is perfectly normal. There's also pictures of illustrations of a couple having sex. And again, the idea is it's perfectly normal. 10 and up. Here's a picture of a couple having sex. 10 and up. Here's a picture of a man masturbating or a woman masturbating. And the the key principles of CSE, Comprehensive Sexual Education, one, sexual pleasure is a right. Two, sexual pleasure should be pursued by people of all ages. That includes children. Three, limiting children's access to sexual information or sexual services violates children's sexual rights. And what this all is opening the door to even wider is of a piece with so-called minor attracted persons, that is, pedophiles. They don't want to be called pedophiles, even though that's the same thing, right? There's a stigma. Well, there should be a stigma. You want to remove the stigma because you're trying to legitimate what you should quit it. <laughs> you're trying to legitimate what is illegitimate. And so, <laughs> given that 10 and up, kids on this block are going to public schools and they're getting this kind of material and they're talking with their friends and making very, very crass comments, very sexually explicit comments uh, over at the park, just two blocks over from our house as of three years ago. Uh, Yeah, I am going to talk about sex occasionally on my podcast so that my kids develop a sexual ethic and so that they are not barraged, unprepared by their peers who are learning godlessness with regards to sexual immorality. They're learning sexual immorality, that there is no such thing as morality, or that to talk of morality with regards to sex is a violation of their rights. No, you don't have a right to doing whatever you want with your body and someone else's body. You you don't have a right to just do whatever you want because there's a God in heaven who made you, and he said, here's what I want. (laughs) Here's what my intention is. Here's my expectation. And there's a God in heaven who knows and he sees and will judge accordingly. Jesus says in the Gospels that it would be better for a man to have a millstone tied around his neck and for him to be cast into the depths of the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble. And yet we have a systematic approach to stumbling children in the U.S., with sexual immorality, with radical gender theory, with a pantheistic view of creation that worships the creation rather than the creator, with a very man-centered view of how the world will come to an end, 
via climate change hysteria. Newsflash, the climate changing has always been the case, but the world is not going to come to an end until God says so. He's the one who upholds and sustains this being an environment which supports human life. He's the one who set it in motion. He's the one who sustains it. He's the one who will ultimately bring an end to this heavens and earth to make a new heavens and a new earth. And we don't need to be teaching our kids to panic and to give up on life and to despair of life and to mutilate themselves so that they won't ever have kids. All the while, we're teaching them to experiment sexually and to have fun because sexual pleasure is a right. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate is putting it mildly. That's wicked. That's evil. It's ungodly. And woe to us if we either are promoting that or if we are subjecting our children to it passively, acquiescing to it, or if we are being silent as our children and other people's children are being subjected to that. God will not hold us guiltless if we fail to sound the alarm on these things. If we fail to call to repentance those who know better and should know better or who don't know better and they need to be told, they need to be warned. If we say nothing, their blood is on our hands. We are guilty. We are complicit if we say nothing. To say nothing is to say something. It is to say, this is okay. This is acceptable. But the next step in all of this is to thoroughly legitimate and decriminalize and destigmatize pedophilia. Right now, they are actively and systematically grooming our children and we as parents and society at large. The next step will be to out and out decriminalize, destigmatize pedophilia to where adults engage in sexual relations with kids and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can say about it. And if you try, well, then you are violating a child's sexual rights. It's none of your business as a parent. They come and take your kids away because you tried to say, no, that's not okay. That's unacceptable. That's what's coming if there is no point at which we're willing to say enough. And we've passed the point which we should have said enough a long time ago. Some of us have been saying that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. That's why we homeschool. But we all need to be. We all need to be saying that's enough because this is unacceptable. And where this goes next, and it's already there, it's been there for some time, but where it goes next from a logical progression, not necessarily a chronological, but just a logical progression is you teach kids 10 and up to have sex, and then, what do you know, you have children getting pregnant. And then the same schools that are insisting that we need to encourage children to have sex, that's actually the ethic, that's the moral, is to teach our kids to have sex with one another and to not feel any special pressing need to get married. And then when our daughters get pregnant, we insist that they need to have access to abortion. And when, when these daughters get abortions in the U.S. 
and someone says, that's wrong, that's evil, that's reprehensible, that's innocent blood being shed, what will we say? Will we say, trying to stop that, trying to pump the brakes on the sexual immorality and on the murder of unborn children, on the mutilation of children, will we say that that is the actually immoral thing? That we would say, no, that's enough. Repent. Repent. That's the only unacceptable thing. That's the only thing we can't tolerate is conservatives, Christians saying, no, not on my watch. You know, I had a very elevated heart rate, according to my Fitbit tracker, yesterday as I was engaged in the comment section on a attack ad put out by Barbara Kirkmeyer's Extreme Agenda, a Facebook page against the Republican candidate for Colorado's Congressional District, 8th Congressional District. There was an NBCnews.com story that they highlighted in which supposedly, allegedly, a woman carrying a fetus, which is just the Latin word for infant, a woman carrying an infant without a skull had to cross state lines to seek an abortion because Louisiana banned abortion. And a troll, that's the technical term, a troll <laughs> uh, engaged me on Facebook after I commented in reply. But the original post was NPC News reported that a woman carrying a fetus without a skull could not get an abortion after Louisiana's abortion ban went into effect. Republican candidate for Congress, Barbara Kirkmeyer, proudly claims she, quote, doesn't agree to any exceptions to abortion, end quote, and if elected, could bring these extreme bans to Colorado. I commented in reply about two weeks ago, the extreme agenda is what's been called the law of the land for nearly 50 years in this country. That is, if an unborn person is considered an impediment to the ambitions of the mother or father, we deserve the right to murder that unborn person in the most cruel, barbaric of ways, using techniques we wouldn't dream of employing on even the most monstrous of convicted criminals. That's what's extreme in our situation. That's what's extreme here. Abortions are performed in the most cruel, tortuous, barbaric of ways. And for 25 years now, the tissues, the, the physical bodies of these unborn children who are murdered are harvested for medical research and for God only knows what all purposes. But it's a very lucrative business selling aborted fetal tissue. It's a very lucrative business. And some of that tissue being harvested while the infant is still alive is the most evil, wicked, monstrous, satanic thing I can think of. That's what's extreme. A Republican candidate for Congress for the 8th district here in Colorado, being for a total ban without exception, that's not extreme. That's not 
untoward. The fact that this is even a debate, that's the extreme and untoward thing. That's the evil thing. But a certain troll named Joanna Harless came out of the woodwork all of a sudden, out of nowhere. She found my comment and was very upset about it, did not like my comment, did not like that I dared to say these things. And so we proceeded to have a back and forth. It was about 50 comments, 50 replies in total. And I'm not going to read all of them for you, but she was very abusive. She was very ugly and nasty towards me. I'll give you the first one. She started off with Garrett Mullet. Maybe you can find this unfortunate woman and adopt her skullless fetus. I only wish we had the scientific knowledge to implant the fetus in you. And what that is, is that's just, that's a vile, nasty, gross, malicious thing to say, right? It is intended to shock, to bully, to horrify me and everyone else reading it. It's abusive. And so all I did, I, I commented back. I said, how charming you are, <laughs> right? Which, of course, I don't mean. And she knows that. And everyone knows that. That's not charming at all. That's the opposite of charming. That's a barbaric thing to say. And then she just proceeded to spend the entire day saying nasty, awful, mean, hateful things to me. I don't know her. But why does she hate me? For one simple reason. Because I'm telling the truth about abortion and she doesn't want to hear it and she doesn't want other people to hear it. And then she starts snooping around on my Facebook page and starts making some very ugly comments about my wife and my children and about me mocking and deriding everything that my family stands for, everything that we're about. I bring my Christian faith into it. And then she wants to mock that as well. And you could ask yourself in my situation, why am I replying? Haven't you ever heard the rule? uh, Don't feed the trolls. That's, that's the rule when it comes to online discourse. What a waste of time. But I'm thinking to myself, no, you know what? This is public. And when we back down from folks like this, In public, we reward them. And so I'm not going to answer a fool according to their folly, lest I become like them. I'm going to answer a fool according to their folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes. And so, yes, I am going to engage this and I'll reply in kind. And I'm not going to be mean and ugly and nasty. But if you don't want to deal in substance, let's just see how long publicly representing the pro-abortion anti-life position and the Democrat party, let's see how long and how far you're willing to go in being ugly and nasty and showing the Democrats for who they really are and what they really represent and what they're really promoting. And I'll show courage and conviction and that I'm not going to be bullied and I'm not going to be intimidated and I'm not going to be shoved out of the public discourse just because you don't want to hear about goodness and truth and beauty. But it turns out this is actually this is more interesting than I realized at first blush. According to 
a piece published just yesterday by Ernest Looning at coloradopolitics.com. This is editor's pick from 19 hours ago. Cover story, Kirkmeyer, Caravaggio, square off in Battleground 8th CD, or Congressional District, Colorado's new U.S. House District. According to this, Colorado's 8th Congressional District is a battleground, and it is the most competitive and expensive U.S. House race in the state this year by a long shot. Not only that, it could determine which party wields the gavel in the chamber next year, according to coloradopolitics.com. This district, this race, could decide whether the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Congress, is majority Republican or majority Democrat. And it's close. According to the election data crunchers at 538.com, Democrats lead on the national generic ballot asking voters which party they want to control Congress, 45.3 to 44.3, with less than five weeks left in the fall campaign, according to this piece by Ernest Looning. But I'm seeing other pieces that are saying Republicans are being dramatically undercounted again. So these polls are a kind of wish casting pollsters. Democrats hope they'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy as Republicans decide to stay home, as voters decide to stay home because they just don't like any of the options and they throw in the towel. They get fatalistic. They give up. They stop arguing their points. They stop paying attention. They tune out. And that's when elections are stolen. That's part of how elections are stolen, quite frankly. Kirkmeyer being for a national abortion ban is up against a Democrat in a midterm election where Democrats seem to have nothing else to run on except attacks on Republicans for Roe v. Wade being overturned and for the potential of a national ban on abortion being enacted by a Republican Congress. That's all they got. That's all they got. And they hope, they desperately hope, they desperately need, in order to have any chance of winning, They desperately need you to forget about COVID and what they did to our businesses, our schools, our communities, our states, our country, the world for the past two years. They desperately want and need you to forget. That's why they're trying to make everything about abortion. They desperately want and need you to forget that energy prices have skyrocketed, that what Putin is doing in Ukraine right now, he did not try to do when Donald Trump was president, when the Republicans were in charge. They desperately want and need you to forget about the Black Lives Matter riots. And they don't want you to pay attention to story after story here lately of fraud, arrests, indictments, investigations into what was done with the money that was donated to Black Lives Matter. Multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar properties being bought, mansions being bought across the U.S. by leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement because it was a scam. It was a scam all along. Their 30 pieces of silver had nothing to do with trying to save black lives except 
they were very concerned with enriching their own black lives and wresting power away from conservatives and Republicans. But the Democrats don't want you to pay attention to that. They want you to be thinking about how in this economy, you might want to be able to get an abortion, or you might want somebody you impregnate to be able to get an abortion, or you might want a family member of yours who will depend on you to be able to get an abortion. That's what they want you to focus on. No, 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 no. Don't don't pay attention to what abortion actually is, that it is murder, that it's the cruelest, most unjust, inhumane, barbaric kind of murder, and it's on an industrial scale. Don't pay attention to that. No, no, no. Just pay attention to how you might want one for yourself or someone you know. Pay no attention to anything else. And I'll tell you, if you if you are a voter who is swayed by that, who says either A, I'm okay with abortion, or B, I desperately want to be able to get an abortion, what will actually be aborted is the United States of America, period. We are aborting our nation, our civilization, and ourselves. We are self-terminating. It's not that child only who is being destroyed. It's we ourselves. And the Democrats want you to think that's a good thing. They want you to think that's a positive. That's a necessary thing. I was watching some clips of Kanye West's interview with Tucker Carlson. And I'd like to watch the full thing because it looks very, very interesting. But Kanye West does not come across in that interview as a crazy person. In fact, he's wearing a lanyard, having just gotten back from this big fashion show where he was wearing a White Lives Matter shirt, along with Candace Owens at the Daily Wire, who was also wearing a White Lives Matter shirt. And he was asked, right? He was asked, he was challenged, he stirred up all this controversy. Why are you wearing that shirt? White Lives Matter? How dare you? And his answer is simple. (laughs) They do. They they do matter, actually. And then come to find out, he's got an ultrasound pick around his neck. And Tucker Carlson asks him, why? Why? You know, not upset, just curious. In your own words, can you tell us about the ultrasound pick? And he says, it's really simple. I'm pro-life. He says, I'm really concerned that the leading cause of black deaths in the U.S., is abortion. Now, I don't know what the stats are right off the top of my head, the latest stats, but he says 50% of black babies in New York City are aborted, brutally murdered by their own mothers. You know, I was talking with some guys at Chevron a week or two ago about the CCP opening up police stations in New York, by the way, and in Canada by the way, and in many major European cities, by the way, which is to say we're being colonized by China, which is mildly concerning. (laughs) But I mentioned this, or my friend Alex Cassetta mentioned it as we were talking about it. I had brought it up on my podcast, and then he was listening and mentioned it to Dave Brenner, the guy who built our software that runs our application object servers. Dave Brenner's a an older guy, he says, oh, really? The CCP is opening up police stations 
in U.S. cities. Yeah, it's true. He says, did you know that the CCP is also funding abortion clinics on college campuses in the U.S.? Did you know that? I said, what? He says, yeah. And it's very clever. It's very clever because they're playing the long game. Encourage American college students to abort their children so that we won't have smart people. It's of a piece with the TikTok algorithms and how they work differently in the U.S. versus how they work in China. In China, the TikTok algorithms promote videos that are about elevating the public discourse, raising aspirations of young people to pursue engineering and science and math and to do good deeds in the community, to be honest and upstanding and virtuous because it's useful. That's helpful. TikTok is the equivalent of Balaam's advice to the king who was going to go against Israel. In the U.S., TikTok algorithms promote videos of kids doing dumb challenges that may kill them or make them very ill. TikTok algorithms in the U.S. promote videos of kids twerking and doing stupid dances that mean nothing except if you get rewarded for doing the dumb dance and all of your peers see you getting rewarded for doing the dumb dance, what's everybody trying to do? They're trying to do the dumb dance. And they're making themselves into trained monkeys for the CCP in the process. So I'm reminded of Balaam and how he was asked to come out and curse Israel by a pagan king coming out against Israel. And Balaam says, I can't. The God of Israel won't let me. I can't. And this is the famous Balaam who was riding a donkey that was trying to save his life from an angel that was in his path that was going to murder him. Balaam gets furious with the donkey and beats the donkey, and the donkey is able to speak to Balaam and ask him, why are you beating me? Because the donkey can see the angel, and Balaam can't. And Balaam doesn't skip a beat. He says, because you are not doing what I want you to do. But the donkey points out, yeah, but I'm doing what you need me to do. I'm trying to save your life. I'm paraphrasing. This is the GSV, the Garrett Standard Version. But Balaam, not being able to curse Israel, nevertheless, gives the pagan king some advice. Basically, send in the women. Send in the whores. And they will corrupt and lead astray the men of Israel who will sin. And then God will judge Israel. And that's how you win. And that's where we're at with the left. That's where we're at with the communists and the Marxists. That's where we're at with the Democrat Party. It's perfectly normal. It's fine. Everybody's doing it. It feels good. You have a right to feel good. You have a right to feel good and get pregnant and then abort that child. You have a right to mutilate your body and remove your ability to have children. What you don't have a right to do, apparently, is to say, this is evil and this is wicked and this will incur the wrath and judgment of Almighty God on you individually and us as a nation. And you must stop or we will be destroyed. That you don't have a right to do. That PayPal may fine you $2,500. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that got out. That got leaked. Oh, no, that was that was a mistake. That was, oh, no, we weren't actually going to do that. 
Really? You weren't going to do something of a piece with the ESG scores, the the banking uh, woke activism, investment firm woke activism? You weren't going to do something of a piece with GoFundMe, confiscating the monies donated to the Canadian trucker convoy, which was protesting vaccine mandates and lockdowns in Canada, which were killing Canadians. You PayPal, you weren't going to do something that was of a piece with what has been talked about pretty openly by totalitarians in big tech and in the media and around the world in these globalist governments. You weren't going to do that. I think you were going to do it, actually, if you could get away with it, if you thought it would be successful and you'd be allowed to. And yes, PayPal should suffer the consequences. But more to the point, we should protect ourselves from being at the mercy of a company like PayPal if they're even willing to entertain such a notion. For that matter, and for exactly the same reason, you shouldn't let your kid get on TikTok and become a trained monkey for the CCP. For that matter, you should get your kids out of the public schools. Don't wait until the next election or the one after that or the one after that to get your kids out. Our next door neighbor girl was having a casual conversation with my sons the other day. And she said something about this guy that she's crushing on wanting to grow up to be a businessman. And so she wants to grow up to be a businessman. And my son corrected her because, of course, why, why wouldn't he correct her? I think you mean businesswoman. And she says, no, I said businessman. It's called transgender dummy. Wow. How charming you are. <laughs> Get your kids out of the public schools. You have a responsibility to. And no, that's not legalism. And no, that is not to say... You can't be a Christian and ignore my advice, but it is to say you're being very unwise and irresponsible given the circumstances to leave your kids in. They're being brainwashed into becoming drug addicts, suicidal, nihilistic, listless, disrespectful, irreverent, godless, disobedient to parents, sexually immoral, and if they get pregnant or get someone else pregnant, entirely okay with the murder of their own children, which they would have as children. Get your kids out. Kirk Meyer, 64, a dairy farmer and small business owner from Brighton, is in the middle of her first term in the state Senate and served non-consecutive terms since the 1990s on the Weld County Commission with stints in the state's last Republican governor's cabinet. Caravaggio, 41, a Thornton pediatrician, is completing her second term in the state house. The fast-growing district has the largest percentage of Hispanic voters of any congressional seat in the state, with 38.5% of the district identifying as Hispanic something. Caravaggio, the daughter of Mexican immigrants, emphasizes when she points out that she would be the first Latina sent to Congress from Colorado. She would also be the first physician and first pediatrician to represent Colorado and Washington, and as far as her campaign can determine, only the second pediatrician to serve in Congress. What's her stance on transing the kids? I want to know that. Also, what's her stance on the economy? What's her stance on the COVID lockdowns? What's her stance on abortion? 
What's her stance on the First Amendment? Does she think that PayPal, for instance, should be allowed to confiscate $2,500 of your money if they find that you've been peddling what they deem to be misinformation? Is she okay with that? Does she think that's okay for the greater good of combating climate change or transing the kids or locking us all down in our homes again if the next variant on COVID is an ooga booga moment? What's her position on those things? If the best shot the Democrats have is that Kirk Meyer has said she would vote for a nationwide ban on abortion, if that's the best shot they've got, remember, we are on the verge of World War III with Russia and China over Ukraine and Taiwan, with a commander-in-chief whose son, we have very plausible reasons to believe, was selling access to the President of the United States of America, formerly Vice President, formerly Senator, committing too many crimes to list here, as evidenced by the testimony of Tony Bobolinsky, a former business associate of the Biden family, as evidenced by the laptop, which he forgot to pick back up from the computer repair shop. We're just about to go into World War III with Hunter Biden's dad as the commander-in-chief. We can't afford to have Democrats continuing to be the closest thing to a check and balance on Biden. We should vote Republicans into a majority in the House and the Senate with a mandate to enact a national ban on abortion, to overhaul and audit the Federal Reserve, to promote school choice coast to coast, nationwide. Parents' tax dollars should follow their kids wherever those kids go to school. Declaring a invasion on the border with Mexico and securing our border because we are being invaded. Would you rather secure the border now or after World War III starts and your country is filled with Russian agents, CCP agents, North Korean agents, Iranian agents, ISIS and Al-Qaeda Would you rather secure the border now or after you have let literally armies march across our southern border into the U.S.? Carrie Lake, running for governor of Arizona, has publicly stated she will declare an invasion if she's elected. And I'm sure that sets in motion a great many things legally, which then have to happen, need to happen. If the Democrats were worth voting for, we wouldn't be in this predicament in the first place. If we vote for them again, even harder this time, we are aborting the United States of America. We are aborting ourselves. If we vote for Republicans that just sit on their hands, pad their own wallets, do the same thing, but with a red jersey instead of a blue that the Democrats want to do, give the Democrats exactly what they want, well then, by all means, I guess you... you, You might as well just stay home. But if we're going to vote in Republicans to the governorships, to the House and the Senate, and they will ban abortion, they will secure the border, they will go after big tech companies, financial institutions, 
which are trying to infringe on our First and Second Amendment rights. Visa and MasterCard should be investigated for tracking gun purchases by private citizens. PayPal should be investigated for even considering fining American citizens $2,500 for so-called misinformation. Twitter and Facebook and Google should absolutely be investigated for fraud, for manipulation, for the censorship of American citizens at home and abroad on false pretenses. 87,000 new IRS agents, half of them armed in military style, should be let go. Cryptocurrency should be encouraged and not campaigned against, not raided, not sabotaged. Pro-life grandparents and parents protesting at abortion clinics should not be getting raided at dawn by FBI agents. A former president of the United States of America should not be getting raided for clothing items and gifts and books and magazine articles and news clippings. Investigations into Hunter Biden and the Biden family should not get shut down for partisan political reasons. A Republican Party that will secure the border and outlaw infanticide and protect our children from being mutilated, corrupted, facilitate parents homeschooling if that's where they want their tax dollars to go, like my tech high, if they want to be able to stay home and homeschool their kids, hey, here's your tax money's back to be able to do that, for the wife to be able to stay home and not have to work full-time outside of the home. Or, given the economic conditions that we're in for, even though Biden inherited a booming economy, look what he's done with it. Now we're headed into a, a depression. I don't think just a recession. I think we're headed into a depression. School choice promotion by Republicans might make the difference between parents being able to raise kids who are going to be able to get jobs in the coming years and decades and raising a generation of looters and rioters. Ask yourself this. Would you rather your state look like California and New York where cops are not allowed to go after criminals for shoplifting? Would you rather your city and state look like Chicago or New York City or Washington, D.C. or Portland or Los Angeles? Or would you rather your city and state government set the tone that Christy Nome and Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis set through the pandemic, not theory, actual freedom. You want to wear a mask? Fine, wear a mask. But please don't. It's theater. You don't want to wear a mask? Guess what? It's a free country. You don't have to wear the mask. You want to get the vaccine? Okay. We'll try to make that happen. You don't want to get the vaccine? Okay. It's a free country. And nobody should be destroying your business, destroying your career, firing you, destroying your life, verbally and physically assaulting you because you refuse to get the vaccine or you refused to let your kids get the vaccine or force your kids to get the vaccine. Do you want your state, do you want the country to look like California and New York, where in 
13 years, you won't be allowed, you won't be legally allowed to buy gas-powered vehicles. You will have to buy electric vehicles, even though Hurricane Ian is treating us to images of electric vehicles catching fire because they were exposed to salt water, even though California, concurrent with their air regulatory board announcing this new rule banning the sale of or purchase of gas-powered vehicles, internal combustion vehicles by 2035, the same week, they also are telling people in California, please don't charge your vehicles because our power grid can't handle it right now. Really? And you're going to add more people having to buy electric vehicles in the next 13 years, having to, being forced to? Really? Would you like your state to look like that? Or would you like your state to look more like Texas economically, politically? It's not to say Texas is without its problems. Florida is without its problems. South Dakota is without its problems. But it is to say the principles matter. The ideals matter. Truth matters. Goodness matters. We are experiencing the repercussions of denying those facts right now. And the Democrats will offer solutions that are nothing but doubling down. And if the consequences we're getting right now are a result of having given them as much power as we have so far, to continue giving them that power, to give them even more power, for them to do more of the same will give us more of the consequences which we have been suffering and are now suffering. When you can't afford to fill up the gas tank and get to work, or your wages are not going up even as your grocery bill is skyrocketing. Your energy bill is skyrocketing. The price point to buy a home or to pay a mortgage every month is going up and up and up and up and up and up. As the cost of everything is going up, except the cost of your wages, if you put Democrats back in, if you give them more power, you will get more of the same. You will get more expensive food, utilities, clothing, and you will get less for a higher cost. In closing, I look at this question of abortion, and I look at some of the comments that were made yesterday that got under my skin more than I'd like to admit. And I think to myself, that back and forth is representative of the choice that voters have next month. On the one hand, you've got some Pink Panther profile pic, supposedly 50, 60-year-old woman mocking a defense, a verbal defense for the unborn publicly in the ugliest possible terms, mocking my marriage, mocking my having eight children, mocking my having a podcast, having a microphone, mocking my Christianity. She doesn't know me. Anything she can grab onto, though, anything at all, trying to destroy it, trying to ridicule it, who do you think she's voting for? Ask yourself that. If this is a representative government in any measure, who do you think represents her? Not the Republicans. I guarantee you she votes Democrat. And I would place bets. I would bet money. Part of the reason why she hates me is because she got an abortion or more than one or insisted that her daughter get one 
or that her son pressure his girlfriend or his fiance or his one night stand or his wife to get one. And if I'm right, she hates me because that makes her a murderer. That means she is a murderer or complicit in a murder. And regardless, regardless of whether she got an abortion, whether she pressured others to get an abortion, the venom she's spewing at me publicly, the utmost contempt she's displaying for me and my family and my faith and my philosophy is complicit in murder. For me to say nothing, I would be complicit as well. I quoted three verses to her. It is written, There are six things that Yahweh hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And point by point, this is what marks the Democrat Party. This is what they're proud of. This is what they embrace. This is what they define themselves by proudly and celebrate. And woe to anyone who calls them out for it, because those hands that shed innocent blood will shed yours and mine too. Don't think they won't. It is written, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. These are rhetorical questions. The answer is yes. He who weighs the heart does perceive it. He knows that's not true. He who keeps watch over your soul knows it. And he will repay man according to his work. It is written, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And you know what? I think I think we have a responsibility to encourage a national repentance right now. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Study those passages, meditate on those passages, and tell me in our context that we don't have a responsibility, that we don't have a duty before God to warn our countrymen, to warn our families, our friends, our church members. This is a matter of life and death. Whether we're talking World War III, whether we're talking drought and famine, whether we're talking the destruction of our ability to transport ourselves and our goods, whether we're talking the destruction of our economy, whether we're talking about the destruction of our children, don't fear man who can only kill the body and then has nothing more he can do to you. Fear God who can both kill the body and cast the soul into hell. And as you know, if you listened to yesterday's episode, I do believe from the scriptures that is eternal conscious torment as a punishment for a life lived in rebellion against God. And yes, many will say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus as King, as God in flesh will say to them, 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But to the saints, he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your place of rest. How do you vote accordingly? What does God hate? Don't vote for that. What does God love? Vote for that. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I gotta run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.